name is Tyler and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing me or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com which has them downloadable or at contextforkids.com where I have transcripts for readers or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel where I usually post slightly longer versions. All scripture this week comes from the MTV, which is the Miss Tyler version, which is the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, tweaked a bit to be more understandable to kids. Now, a lot of times when people talk about Jesus, they make him look like a normal guy who could work miracles. But today, I want to introduce you to the unique Son of God who was all-powerful but never used that power to hurt people. I want to talk about what he could have done when he was sad and angry, and frustrated, and when people disrespected him. What would we have done? What do we do in those sorts of situations? What would we be capable of if we had the same power Jesus has? The first time I really thought about it, it scared the snot out of me. There are a lot of good reasons why I am not God, and if I had powers, everyone else would figure it out really quick. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Self-control. Self-control is just what it sounds like. Controlling ourselves. Self-control isn't controlling our emotions because those happen without us even thinking about them beforehand. We can't stop feeling happy when we see someone we love for the first time in a month. We can't feel calm when we walk into a dark room and then all of a sudden all of our friends yell, Surprise! And we see a cake and a pile of presents just for us. When a pet dies, we can't help but feel sad. When someone hurts us, we can't feel anything but angry at that moment. If our pants fall off at school, we can't help but feel really embarrassed. Those reactions are normal because our emotions are normal. They are what they are. They are gifts that God has given us and they happen without even asking for permission. Although they can change as we get older, they never go away. So self-control isn't about controlling our emotions. Self-control is about becoming able to control how we act when we have an emotion. When we're babies and we're hungry or thirsty or need a diaper change, we might throw a fit because we don't have any words to talk about how we're feeling, or to ask for what we want. When we're that small, we don't really understand that we won't die just because, you know, we're hungry right this minute. But as we grow older, we know that hunger just means it's time to eat. But even if we have to wait a while, we aren't in any danger. It's just a bit uncomfortable is all. We learn that not everything is a big hairy deal. We don't need to cry when we're hungry or tired or don't always get what we want. But it takes a lot of years to figure those things out. We parents have to be patient and remember that kids don't know what they don't know and that big emotions can erupt in really big ways. Did baby Jesus cry when he was hungry? Well, of course. For a baby, that's just talking. And there's nothing wrong or sinful about a baby crying. As he grew older and became able to talk, just like the rest of us, he learned better ways of dealing with getting what he needed. Babies have no self-control at all. 
toddlers will sometimes hit or bite to get what they want because they're having these huge emotions, but hitting and biting isn't okay. And they have to be taught to control themselves and to be angry in other ways. When I was little, a man named Mr. Rogers taught me how to deal with being angry by pounding on clay or hitting the piano keys and making a big sound or by talking to a friend about it, but never to hit or be mean. We can't obey Jesus when he says to love our neighbors as ourselves when we hit people or scream at them every time we get angry. No one likes for that to happen. It hurts. And because everything Jesus did was about showing us the love of God, we have to pay attention to all the things he didn't do. And we can't do that unless we know all the things he could do. It's kind of funny, but it's Satan who gives us our first clues as to what Jesus was able to do. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness when he hadn't eaten in 40 days and he was really hungry, well, Satan dared Jesus to make bread out of rocks. Why would Satan do that if it was impossible? Oh, he knew exactly what God's power in Jesus could do. He wanted Jesus to stop trusting in God just because he was way more hungry than we can even possibly imagine. That means that Jesus could have made the rocks into bread on the very first day, or the first week, or the first month, but he didn't because he was trusting and obeying God. Wow. If I could make rocks into bread, then I could also probably make them into cream puffs, and that would be the end of me eating healthy and all the rocks in my yard would be gone, right? Now, Jesus could have made the bread, but Jesus didn't make the bread. Satan also took Jesus to the tip-top of the temple in Jerusalem on the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, and dared him to jump down and make the angels catch him. Satan wouldn't have said that if he didn't know that Jesus could tell the angels to do absolutely whatever he wanted them to do. In fact, if he had done that, then everyone in the temple would have seen it and they would have known that Jesus was God's Messiah right then and there and no one would have ever been able to kill him. Everyone in the world would have followed Jesus immediately and protected him. But Jesus had to control himself because if that happened, we would all still be doomed to be sinners forever and we would still die at the end of our lives and stay dead. Jesus would have gotten old and died too, and he never would have fought Satan on his own turf and destroyed Satan's kingdom. Jumping down would have been easier and way more pleasant, but Jesus had to control himself and do things the hard way so that we could be saved. Finally, Satan told Jesus that he could give him all the power to be king over all the kingdoms in the world. By doing that, Satan was showing us that Jesus had the ability to choose whether or not he was willing to be loyal to God, his father. Jesus wasn't a robot. He made choices every day. Because he was with God from the beginning, Jesus had always known what was right and had always done what was right. When he became human like us, he understood how hard it is for us to make the right choices, but he still 
always did exactly the right and good thing. But Satan wouldn't have kept telling him to do what was wrong if Jesus had no choice about his own actions. Jesus had perfect self-control, but that doesn't mean that his choices were easy ones to make when he was hurting, sad, angry, and afraid. Jesus had all of our big emotions, but he made better choices than we do with how he handled them. Sometimes Jesus had to make certain choices because of what the prophets had written about him. Things that only Jesus could do that don't apply to us. Jesus walked on the water because Job says that only God himself can do that. Jesus told the terrible storm to stop because the psalmists say that only God can do that. And there is one especially famous episode in all four Gospels where Jesus walked up to the Temple Mount and was standing in the court of the Gentiles that was all around the Temple building, where people from all over the world came to worship and learn and teach about God. But on that day, you couldn't hear the Levites singing the praise music and you couldn't smell the incense burning inside the temple or the frankincense and bread burning on the altar or the smell of roasting whole lamb. Jesus had visited the temple, his father's house, on the day before and what he had seen made him very angry. People had come from all over the world to celebrate the Passover. Many had traveled for weeks to get there from places like Babylon and Rome. But the people who used to sell animals for sacrifices a mile away on the Mount of Olives had been given permission by the corrupt high priest and his family to sell them right there on the Temple Mount. It would have been very noisy and stinky and you would have heard the people who were making deals and paying for stuff. But first they had to buy the special money, which cost them even more money. They had turned God's holy temple, which was supposed to be a house of prayer for the whole world, into a shopping mall where they were hurting poor people by forcing them to pay way too much to obey God while they got richer and richer every year. And so Jesus did something that only Jesus could ever do. And people who don't understand what was happening will tell you that Jesus lost control and flipped out. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because he had seen it all the day before and went away to think about what he would do the next morning. Jesus was angry and disgusted by what he saw, but he calmly went to the home of his friend Lazarus to plan what he would do the next day. Believe me, if he was flipping out, he wouldn't have left and come back later. He would have just done it all right then. Psalm 69.9 tells us something important about the Messiah. It tells us that he would be consumed with zeal for his father's house, the temple. But what is zeal and what does it mean to be consumed with zeal? Well, zeal is a fancy word. I mean, it even starts with a Z, which would be a great Scrabble word. It's a fancy word that means we care very, very much about something. People who are zealous to protect others, like the members of the Underground Railroad who risked their lives, their families, and everything they had to help people who were being kept as slaves to get free. 
that kind of zeal is good. That kind of zeal comes from God. Other kinds of zeal can be really bad. Sometimes people care so much about this or that thing that they hate anyone who doesn't feel the same way, even their own families. That kind of zeal isn't from God. Jesus cared about the temple because it was the place that Jews from all over the world came to worship God every single day of the year. But these people who were doing business and selling money and animals were just out to get richer than they already were. In Jeremiah 7, the prophet calls the temple a den of robbers because of how people were treating it. A den of robbers is where people who steal from others go to hide out and be safe. That people who were doing evil things would think that they were safe doing them right there in God's house is really messed up. So in Mark chapter 11, Jesus sees all of this on his first day in Jerusalem. And he didn't do anything. He went to the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, a couple of miles away in Bethany. And then when he went back the next day, John says that he made a little whip, okay? The kind that ranchers use to move animals in a certain direction. Not like, you know, a big old dangerous Indiana Jones whip. This is what Mark says happened. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out everyone who was buying and selling animals. He tipped over the tables of the people selling the special temple money and the chairs of the men who were selling doves to the poor, and he wouldn't let anyone carry anything on the temple mount. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now Mark said that Jesus was teaching, not flipping out. He wasn't out of control or flipping out or whipping people. Sometimes you'll see paintings that make it look like he was on a wild rampage. But Jesus would have been arrested by the Roman soldiers who were up in the fortress Antonia that was attached to the Temple Mount on the northwest side. They were always having an eye out for troublemakers and especially on the Passover. And it wasn't strange not to let people carry things on the Temple Mount. We'll see later that the rabbis wrote that no one was allowed to carry anything onto the Temple Mount ever. And so those people were doing what was already wrong by Jewish law. They were disrespecting God by turning his temple into a shopping mall. Jesus tipped over their tables so that the money went everywhere and it was impossible for them to do business. He told them to get out of there and made sure they knew that if they tried it again, he tipped their tables over again. And then he taught the people who were gathered there trying to worship God that what those people had been doing was an insult to God. But what could Jesus have done if he wanted to? If he had no self-control? That's a scary thought. When he was being arrested, the night before he was killed, one of his disciples took out his knife and cut off someone's ear, and Jesus point-blank told him, and it was probably Peter, to put the knife away, and if Jesus wanted to, he could command more than 12 legions of angels to do whatever he wanted them to do. Oh man, now that's a scary thought. 
No one can defend themselves against an angel. No one. No one's smarter than an angel. Angels can't be killed. And only God can order angels around and tell them to do things. No one else can. At all. One of these days, read the Gospels and ask yourself, what if Jesus had called down a huge truckload of angels to deal with this or that guy? Because a legion, when Jesus was on earth, that number could mean anything from three to 5,000 soldiers, but sometimes it just meant a big, huge group. So at a minimum, Jesus was telling them that he could call for 36,000 angels on the spot if he wanted to. Boom, immediately, to do whatever he wanted them to do. So every time Jesus was angry at someone or frustrated or whatever, he could have summoned angels to kill them all, but he never did. Not even when he was on the cross. Be really glad that I can't order angels to do stuff. It would be bad because I can get super feisty. What about the time the disciples were ticked off because... The people who lived in Samaria didn't want to let him come through their town because he wouldn't worship at their temple. In Luke 9, Jesus is heading down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and he sent some messengers down to one of the Samaritan villages so that they could get ready for him. But when they found out he was going to the temple in Jerusalem instead of going to Mount Gerizim where they kept the Passover, they told him that he was not welcome there. And James and John, they got really angry and asked if Jesus wanted them to call down fire from heaven and kill everyone in that village. And Jesus was clearly angrier at them for even suggesting it than he ever could be for being rejected by the Samaritans. James and John wanted to do their worst just because they felt disrespected. Which reminds me of someone else we've studied about in the past. Lamech, that first guy in the Bible who had more than one wife. Do you remember the messed up song he sang to his wives when a kid hurt him? A kid? Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to what I'm saying. I killed a guy for hurting me. A young man for hitting me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. All right, it's just creepy when someone writes a song about themselves killing a guy for something so ridiculous as just hitting him. And frankly, from the sound of this nonsense, Lamech probably had it coming. Two, this guy is so over the top with no self-control whatsoever that he sounds more like a toddler having a tantrum than a grown man. Three, that this guy is going to assume that God will be on his side and defend him if other people want to come and get revenge is ridiculous. Four, can you imagine what would happen if this guy had 12 legions of angels he could boss around? But that's why the Bible included this story. Not to tell us that, yeah, God's going to defend him, but to show us what having no self-control looks like. I mean... The guy wanted more than one wife, and if you scratched him, he would kill you. This guy is ridiculous, and the Bible wants us to know it. And what isn't always obvious is that the Bible didn't have chapters and verses until like the last 500 years. 
So when it was originally read, the story of Enoch being so awesome that God took Enoch away to be with him happened just right after that story. We're supposed to roll our eyes and facepalm and not want to be anything like Lamech at all. Those kind of comparisons happen a lot in the Bible, and we're going to see that with Abraham and Lot in Genesis 18 and 19 when we get back to that. And so what lessons can we take away from learning about Jesus's self-control? What do we do when we're right? What do we do when someone else is wrong? How do we treat children and especially as you get older? How do we behave when we are bigger, stronger, smarter, richer, or more powerful or more popular? How do we use what we have to help or to hurt others? What do we do when someone hurts us? How much getting even is enough? Do we forgive the small stuff that people do to hurt us, even on accident? How do we handle the really big things people do to hurt us? Do we call the police or do we do something even worse to them instead? Do we require everyone around us to be perfect and punish them whenever they aren't? What does it look like when the grown-ups in our lives don't use their self-control? Is it scary? Does it make us mad? How do we use our words and our bodies or whatever else we have when we know they can be hurtful? Are we careful not to embarrass and humiliate people when it isn't absolutely necessary? Those are all very important questions. And as you get older and become more mature and get to know Jesus better in your own life, he will help you to use the good things in your life and even the bad things to help other people instead of hurting them. Sometimes the meanest people in the world are the people who have been hurt badly by others. But sometimes they're just people who enjoy being mean. Sometimes the kindest people in the world are the people who have been hurt the most, but don't want to make others feel the same way. And sometimes kind people are just people who were always treated kindly. There are no rules as to why some people control themselves so that they can be a blessing to others and why some people don't. But there is one thing that's absolutely true. Anyone who is determined to listen to and follow Jesus will become more able to control themselves, more able to bless others by being kinder and gentler than the world around them. God gave us each gifts that can be used to do good for others or to do bad to others. Strong people can be bullies or they can be protectors. Smart people can teach and invent things or they can make other people feel stupid or trick them. Rich people can hurt others to get richer, or they can help others with their money. People who are popular can change the world for the better and help people who are suffering, or they can make the lives of other people just miserable. Our emotions are just like the gifts we have. Do we use our anger to get even with people we're mad at, or do we get angry when someone else is being hurt and do what it takes to help make their lives better. There are always going to be people who take what God has given them and they'll make people's lives better and others who will take what God has given them and selfishly make other people's lives worse. Your life is about what you decide to do, 
with your gifts and your talents and your blessings. No one else can make those choices for you. The people around you, they can make it harder or easier for you to do what is good and right. But only you have all the power to decide if that is what you want to do. Learning about Jesus helps us, but learning from Jesus changes us from people who don't care about others into people who do care. I love you. I'm praying for you. Maybe you don't know your gifts yet, but as you figure it out, I pray that you will always remember to ask God what he wants you to use those gifts for. We aren't all the same, and we can serve God and other people in thousands of different ways, and they are all good no matter who we are or where we live or what we are good at.